welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 10th of January 2010, entitled Serving with Honour in 2010, and the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Just a few simple thoughts again. Serving with honor in 2010. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I invite you to stand with me to read the honoring, to honor the reading of God's Word beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead. That he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. A familiar passage of Scripture that we have before us, and of course, as we look here, we find that the apostle was writing in verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Saying that he is controlled by the love of Christ. His love for us and our love for Him. That's what constrains us. That's what keeps us within bonds. We find that, you know, one of the, I guess, the most difficult things that you might have to try to explain is this emotion called love. They say that, you know, love is blind. Once you really love anybody, then you can't see the wrongs, you can't see the weaknesses, you can't see the, the bad things a lot of times, not because they're not there, but because they just don't matter. We find that in Romans chapter 6, notice that beginning in verse 3, he says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? 
Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, in that same way, in that same manner, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace." Have you ever seen somebody that was, quote, unquote, madly in love, do some pretty foolish and silly things just because they were in love? Well, by the same token, I say that because, you know, many times in our Christian walk, if we truly, as in these passages, if we truly allow our lives to be controlled, to be constrained by the love of Christ, if He is the greatest love of our life, and we recognize His great love for us, I'll guarantee you when the world looks at you, they're going to think you do some pretty foolish things which seem just absolutely perfectly normal to you because you're in love. You see, when we genuinely love, you know, I said one time when looking at this subject of love that most of the time we think of love as a noun, as a name that is naming something. But in fact, love is a verb. It's a word of action. Love is something that you do. Love is something that you give. We find that the apostle is saying here that in his new life as a Christian, his life is controlled by this thing called love. He said in verse 15, in that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You see, when it's that love that's constraining us, that's controlling our lives, it's not going to be what's important to me. It's not going to be what I want, what I want to do, what makes me happy. It's going to be what makes him happy. Jesus Christ was willing to give up everything himself so that you might have life. He died for all that they which live should no longer, he said, no more henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him. You know, our lives should be for him. That's what 
real committed love is all about. It's not what it will do for me. It's what I can do for the other person. He says, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Before conversion, before you became a child of God, how many of you had, had ever heard the name Jesus before you got saved? Amen? But he was just another man. Maybe a man in history, maybe even a, a pretty important man, maybe somebody that had, had made a difference, but there's lots of people in history that have made big differences, but Jesus was just another man. But he's saying here, after conversion, Jesus nor anybody else is just another man. There's a different relationship. Know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. He's not just a man to us anymore. And of course, if we truly, you know, this is one of the things that if you'll recall that I've mentioned to you in the past, that, you know, it's a good thing for us not to want those that we care about to spend an eternity in hell. It's a good thing that we want to pray for them, that they could truly be saved, that they could truly come to know Christ. And as a matter of fact, there's something bad wrong. If you really believe all this and you say that you love or care for somebody else, and yet that's not important. It's a good thing that we should care. But you know, that's not the ultimate reason that we should pray and seek their salvation. If our love for Christ is everything that it ought to be, as his love for us is, then it's for his glory above all else that we want to see them saved. Now, if, if it's so important to us that they be saved so that they can have an eternity in heaven, so that they can not go to that place called hell, so that they can enjoy that same peace and walk in the Christian life that you do, those things should be important. But I'm saying there's something bigger than that, something more than that. If the love of Christ truly is what is controlling our lives, if he really is the preeminent thing in all of our life above all things else, then I'm saying we will desire their salvation not only just so they can go to heaven and so that they can miss hell and all those things, but even above that, that Jesus Christ can be glorified because he's the one that died for them. He's the one that more than anybody else wants to see their salvation we put this next verse to music a lot of times. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That verse is not hard to understand. It's maybe hard to comprehend, but it's not hard to understand what it's saying. Literally, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation he's talking about there. The old things, they've passed away. They just aren't there. They're gone. We find that he says, behold, all things have become new. Here in the original, it means uh, an abiding result. Something has happened that's left a result that is staying there as a result, as a permanent because of what took place before. 
We find that here he says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A new creation which results in a whole new style of living. A whole new creation. He doesn't just remodel the old. He doesn't just put on a fresh coat of paint. He doesn't even just clean it up and get rid of all that old stuff. Created new. And it's an abiding result from that. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It's all of God, isn't it? You realize that it's impossible to give God too much credit for your salvation? <laughs> it's impossible to give him too much credit for anybody's salvation? It's all of God. None of us would be saved had it not been God that loved us so much that he's the one that put the plan into action. He's the one that planned before the foundation of the earth to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to shed his blood, to pay for your sins so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have life everlasting. He loved you that much. It's all of God. A new relationship because our trespasses are no longer counted against us. It's just like you never committed them. You know, we look in the mirror and we still see a lot of things wrong, and we will until the Lord returns for us one day. But in actual fact, once we are in Christ, those things don't exist anymore. The old Satan that we talked about this morning, he'll keep trying to bring them up. But in fact, if they're under the blood, they're gone. They're, they don't even exist. We're to carry this wonderful message others. He's given that ministry to us. They can be reconciled to God. Their sin no longer has to alienate them and separate them from God Almighty. He says to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God in Christ. We've looked at that enough recently. God in Christ. You can't, you can't separate. You can't have Jesus Christ without having God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. You can't have God the Father and leave out God the Son and God the Holy. There is one God. We find here that the Bible's teaching us that God himself was there in Jesus Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And, of course, it goes on then in verse, verse 20. Now then, we, as a result of all this, I mean, if it's the love of Christ, that's bound you up. It was the love of Christ that drew you to him in the first place. The love of Christ that controls your life. If truly you're living that selfless life, no longer living into yourself, but if you've been created new in him, we find that he says here that those are the ones that he says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. An ambassador. It's a pretty important title. It's a pretty important position that not just anybody can hold. It's considered a position of honor. When the leader of a country represents, and, and remember this, that an ambassador, you know, the United Kingdom, Britain has many ambassadors around the world. 
But those ambassadors that are there, they're not there just representing the country. They are representing personally the leadership of this country. They are there as representatives of the queen herself. We find that the United States of America has ambassadors all over the world. But when they are there, they are there individually, personally, as a representative of the President of the United States. So it's a tremendous honor when you're there in someone else's place, in someone else's stead, as a representative of that individual, God, beseeching, entreating through you and I. You see, it's on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ that we plead for reconciliation to God. It's as His representative, it's on His behalf that we've been given that ministry. He says in verse 21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The heart of our message, the gospel, of the Lord Jesus Christ, a sinless Savior, has taken our sins so that we, in turn, could have His righteousness. That's phenomenal. And yet that's exactly what we are representing Him to this world, offering that same thing, that same message, because in His stead, He wants us to represent Him that the world might be reconciled unto him, that their sins might be forgiven. With our lives being controlled by the love relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ, he proved his love by dying for us so that he could give us life. And in that relationship, we no longer live for our own personal, selfish desires. Our desire, if we really love Him. You see, many people talk about, you know, it's amazing sometimes. I've said before, it's hard for us sometimes to really grasp what it means to genuinely say, I love you. Because we love everything. We love everything from the food that we eat to the clothes that we wear to the cars that we drive. We love this. We love that. When in actual fact, we don't love those things at all. The truth is, is that we should love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart to where all of those other things, really, they don't matter at all when it comes to pleasing Him. You know, when you really love someone, then that is you're more concerned about their happiness, about them being happy than you are whether you are happy yourself. All that we do. And so many times we saw this morning that that iniquity, that sin that entered in that was the downfall of Satan was that little thing called pride. You know, as humans, that's one of the things that we have to deal with so much. We like to be recognized. We want everybody to know that we did this wonderful thing and we did this wonderful thing. 
that we're really a wonderful person that does wonderful things all over the place. We'd like for people to know when, in fact, the Bible has much to say about doing things for somebody that nobody knows about, not to even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. We find that, in fact, when we truly, truly love the Lord Jesus Christ as we ought to, it doesn't really matter if anybody knows at all what we did. It's His glory. It's Him that we want to be recognized. We want people to see Jesus. It doesn't matter if they ever see us. It doesn't matter what they think of us. It's what they think of Him. As a result, we no longer see Jesus Christ is just merely a man in history like we one time did. We know him as God Almighty. We no longer see man as just mere flesh, but as eternal souls that need to be reconciled to God, regardless of their race or their color, regardless of where they come from, regardless of what status that they might have in this life, regardless of what they may have done to us personally before the eternity of their souls. And further, if a man is in Christ, he is a new creation that results in a new lifestyle. No, I know you're not perfect yet. Almost, but not quite. But the truth is, is that you're a new creation. You have new desires. Your goals are different. What's important to you in life is different. If you say some kind of a little prayer and take on some kind of a tag and you go right on just loving to do the same things and carry on and just doing those things like you did before, then you missed something somewhere. Because the Bible says you're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God has done everything that is necessary to bring peace, to give us an everlasting relationship. You know, many times we live in a society where even children today sometimes find it hard to grasp an everlasting relationship because there are more homes that are broken than there are that's together. But this is a relationship that you never have to worry about them falling out of love. You never have to worry about him changing his mind. You never have to worry about him in any way, shape, or form doing anything that would hurt you or harm you. But he's always, always there to love you, consider you. And that's the way he should be in our lives. He wants to give us that everlasting relationship, that everlasting love that we can have through Jesus Christ. And of course, along with that, he's given us a tremendous privilege and responsibility of telling others, of in his place, representing him to this world, to explain just what God has done, to bring about this relationship, to offer this relationship of peace and love to everybody. No longer they have their sins and trespasses counted against them recognizing that Jesus Christ has paid that sin debt. And he's saying to us with, 
with all of that in mind, we are appointed this high calling, this high calling of an ambassador. You know, we talked last week on forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to those things which are ahead, pressing towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. We have a high calling, folks. We need to recognize that we are to represent Jesus Christ, the Savior, to everybody that we come in contact with. They need to see Jesus in us, whether it's your friends at school, whether it's your enemies at school, whether it's the people that you work with, your next-door neighbor, the person that you just bump into at the supermarket or the petrol station or whatever. We are a representative of Jesus Christ. He wants us to introduce them to Jesus Christ, for them to, to see Christ in us. We represent him with the greatest message in all the world. You know, they give out prizes for people that do a great job and somehow make some kind of a remarkable difference. And many times it's these speeches that go down and are remembered forever. We're even taught in school sometimes the, the lines of some of these favorite speeches, famous speeches that have, that have been made. But the truth is, you and I have the greatest message that's ever, ever, ever needed to be declared anywhere. And we represent Jesus Christ to this world. We have a position of honor, but are we truly taking that position seriously? We find that this high calling of being an ambassador, maybe we would just ask ourselves as we begin again, and I've said it in different ways at different times, if we're not careful, if we don't actually do something, before you know it, you blink a few times and 2010 will be gone. And we will have accomplished absolutely nothing for eternity. Oh, may still be saved and going to heaven if the Lord hasn't Return, we're still looking for him. But have we really made a difference for him? Have we represented Jesus Christ to those that we come in contact with? How responsible will we be in 2010 in fulfilling our position, which we have every human being that becomes a Christian, that is truly saved, that is born again, becomes a representative, an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ to represent him to this world. Will we take that responsibility serious? Will we take that appointment serious? How important is it to us that we perform our duties well? Will 2010 be any different? Remember what we said last week. You can't change what you did last year, the year before. You can't undo and you can't redo. Those things are done. They're gone. We need to look ahead. We need to be stretching, if we're reaching for those things which are before us, those things which are ahead of us, pressing towards the mark 
the goal of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Is our goal this year to truly represent the Lord Jesus Christ as his ambassador in the best possible way that we can? That to those we come in contact with that we can truly represent him, that they'll see him, understand what he has done for them? You see, as an ambassador, one thing you've got to be in order to be an ambassador is you've got to be a citizen of the country that you're representing. Now, you have to be a citizen of heaven, folks. A person that's never truly been saved can't be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to be a citizen of heaven. That's where his throne is. And you'll represent him only if you have made absolutely. Uh, Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 10, he said, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Oh, we need to know, make absolutely positive, first of all, that we have absolutely no doubts that we're saved and on our way to heaven. Notice what he says in uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. He says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You remember what I said earlier about sometimes look at somebody they seem to be doing some of the most foolish things because they're in love. <laughs> they're just so much in love. I'm saying, you know, when the world looks at us, they think, boy, what's wrong with him? You know, I don't know that we're in love. We're so much in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're representing him in this life. But he says, holding forth the Word. You know, this is the only thing that will change their lives. There's nothing that we can personally do, but He's done it all. They need to understand. Holding forth the Word of life. You know, we have to be living a life. They have to see Christ in us, folks. There's absolutely no point taking the Bible and showing somebody how that they can be saved if we're out there living and smelling and acting and doing like the world itself. Do they really see Christ? Are we representing Christ when they see the word of truth being held forth? Is it being held forth by one of honor? Or are they wondering, you know, what in the world is wrong with you? <laughs> you don't live any better. Don't worry, you'll get enough criticism when you're trying to do the very best you can. You might do a hundred things right, but they'll pick up on the one thing that you get wrong. But I'm saying our desire must be to try to live Christ-like to try to live above reproach. We find that in all these things, we must be blameless. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, he tells us not to even give place to the devil. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't need a whole lot of room. 
to get in there, not to even give place to the devil. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22, we're so worried a lot of times it's hard for us just to sort out the sin. He says to abstain from all appearance of evil. You know, the, the, the truth is it doesn't even matter if it really is sin or not. If it even appears that way, we ought to want to stay away from it. You find that you know, there's many passages that we could look at in Scripture. I've shared with you on a number of occasions that one of the, one of the passages that really, that really changed some important areas in my life was Romans 14, 21 that says, For it is good neither to eat flesh, nor drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Sometimes we want to prove our point, oh, I can do this and still be a Christian. Is that really, is your freedom, your pleasures, your thing, are those more important to you or the representing of the Lord Jesus Christ? If those are things that maybe you would have absolute control over, but somebody else wouldn't, should we be doing them? Should they be a part of our life? We find that in order to be an ambassador, even in this natural world. That ambassador must be a citizen of that nation that he's come from, but he must be an individual with character, an individual that is above reproach, an individual that tries to represent the one whom he is there in the place of with honor. We find that sometimes it means that just as we've seen in this passage that a person has to be very selfless. His own interest sometimes has to go because it's more important to him to represent the sovereign who he is there for than it is his own self. We find that sometimes we can get into difficult situations. You know, sometimes when problems break out in these countries and these nations, everybody wants to run to the embassy where the ambassador is at. Many times situations get difficult, and what's the first thing that he'll always do? Pick up the telephone and get in touch with his government. <laughs> he's got to be in contact. He's got to know if he's there representing his sovereign, representing that one that he's there that does have the power, then he has to remain in contact with that person in order to know we need to be in contact with the throne room all the time. If we're representing Jesus Christ, we need to know His will, what He wants, what He desires for this situation rather than me. We can't do that if we're not in contact with Him. We find that it's just common sense. And of course, I want to give you this finally. That if you're going to be an ambassador and serve with honor, then you've got to be loyal. You've got to be steadfast. You've got to be willing to stick it out through the good and the bad and the easy and the hard. You've got to be willing to stand up for that individual that you represent and to be loyal to them, not to be sidetracked by personal desires, not to be sidetracked by maybe temptations of this world that could draw you aside. Temptation will come. And you know what? We find that sometimes the greatest temptations can come on foreign soil. 
when you're away from the people that you know. You know, when you're in, in an area where everybody knows you and, and, and everybody's eye, sometimes that in itself is a constraining thing on us. But an ambassador doesn't serve in his own country where everybody knows him. He serves in a foreign country. The Bible says that we are foreigners and strangers in this world. If we're true citizens of heaven, we're just passing through. We're just passing through. And the truth is, is that I can guarantee you that is that one that we talked about this morning, whose name is Satan, he will be there to try to bring temptations, to try to defer your loyalties, to try to get you to somehow move away from that position where he wants you. But in fact, a true, honorable, loyal ambassador, no sacrifice is too much. No price is too high to pay. Now then, we are ambassadors. I'm going to close with a story that I read probably, hmm, probably 25 years ago plus, and it had such an impact. And as a matter of fact, when when I was running up and down the miles of the U.S. in church after church, I shared that story in a lot of those churches because it had such a an impact on my life. Because we can get so comfortable in our lives of ease sometimes that we don't realize that even as we stated this morning that there there are so many people in this world they don't have those simple freedoms I don't even remember now what uh, it was in one of the Christian magazines or periodicals that I read the testimony and it's the testimony of these ladies that I remember I don't even remember what country that it was in. I used to, but I, I, I don't remember anymore. But I do recall that basically these ladies were in their country and they were Christians and they there had been a point in the time when that missionaries had come in and many people had come to know Christ and churches had been established and they were going on for the Lord. But then there was a turnover in the political leadership of that country and the communist dictators that took over decided that church wasn't a good thing. And so the first thing they began to do was close down all of those church buildings. And they made it against the law for those preachers to continue to preach those messages and those sermons that they preached. But the funny thing was that even after they closed down the churches and they tried to hush up the, the, the pastors and all of that, these little cells, they just kept going. There were these little groups of Christians all over the place, and they were determined. They began to send out the soldiers in order to, to quieten these people, to put them down. And these two ladies that had shared their testimony, they happened to be in a, in a particular village when these soldiers came in. And the truth was is that those soldiers were there to stamp out Christianity. And so the first thing they did, they got all the people in this village, and they they asked how many of them were Christians. And of course, there was only a certain percentage of them that were willing, and they, they lined all these people up that were supposed to be Christians. And then basically the soldiers took their guns, and as they pointed their guns at these people that were claiming to be Christians, they said, if you want to live, there's one thing that you'll have to do. 
You're going to have to deny your Christianity and your faith in this one called Jesus Christ. Or we're going to take your life. We find that, of course, there were some that were willing to do that. These ladies were not willing, and so the guards decided they were going to make an example of them. And what they did is they took and they, they, they tied their wrists together and they tied them to this pole and they, they stretched them, Brother Steve, to where they were just, just, just barely, their toes were just barely dangling on the ground to where their, their weight was there. And then they, they took some kind of a wooden plank. And in this wooden plank, they drove nails through those wooden planks. These guards began to take that plank and to beat these ladies with these boards, with these nails protruding through it. And they kept saying over and over, just deny this one called Jesus. Deny this Christian faith. Say that it's not real. But they couldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. And of course, you know, the, the story itself was quite graphic and what these guards did to them wasn't pretty. But these ladies, as they told their testimony later, they said, you know, the thing was, because we sat there and we saw our Jesus, we couldn't deny him. But you know, said so the amazing thing was, they were beating away. They were beating away. But the truth was, is that we weren't feeling anything. <laughs> we weren't feeling anything. Now, I can't promise you that somebody can beat you with nails and that you won't feel any pain. But I'm saying that they were loyal. Sometimes being a true ambassador means being loyal in the toughest of times. And most of us, to be quite honest, we don't really know anything about that. But you know, the story didn't finish there. <laughs> the truth was that these guards had gone there to stamp out Christianity. But in the end, what those guards and those village people saw in those two ladies, you know, they hadn't been Christians that long, Brother Chris. <laughs> they hadn't gone to Bible college and studied theology. They didn't know a whole lot of those theological terms or anything. But they knew where their loyalties lay. They were faithful. And the truth is, is that through those two ladies' loyalty, not only did other villagers come to know Christ because they knew whatever these ladies had, it was real. They knew it. Not only them, but some of those very guards that were trying to get them to put it out became Christians as well. You know, we never know. We never know what the consequences. Do you realize that down through the years, how many of you have ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Oh, enjoyable reading, isn't it? <laughs> It's not very enjoyable to sit down and read, but every Christian ought to read it. We ought to realize and understand what cost, what price has been paid so that you and I, that we take so lightly, can have this freedom to be here, to be able to be in a place of worship together, to be able to preach the Word of God and to stand upon those truths. Many, many people through the centuries it has cost them their lives. Those two ladies, though they thought it was going to cost them their lives, in the end it didn't. But sometimes it does. 
The truth is, is that are we truly going to serve with honor? Are we willing to be steadfast, to be loyal? No matter what the cost is, will we really trust him to be there with us? You see, there are going to be many opportunities Many different things are going to happen in our lives in 2010. We're going to have to make choices very often. Will we serve with honor? Will we serve with honor? We've already been appointed to the position. If you're a child of God, you've got that position. You're an ambassador. You are a representative of Jesus Christ. How will you represent him? How will you represent him to this world? In our lives... You know, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing, Brother Steve, what God can do through one loyal individual that will just truly trust Him. You know, we like to think, just like we, <laughs> we saw Peter this morning in his own strength, he said, no way. They can lock me up. They can kill me. I'll stand firm. The Lord knew better. The Lord knew that Peter would falter. But the Lord also knew that Peter and the brethren would learn from that. That as a result, he would end up making a difference with his life. You may have faltered. You may have not served as honorably as you should have up to this point. But I'm saying 2010 can be different. Will you really serve with loyalty? Will you really put the Lord first in your life? Will you let God just... Do what he wants with your life to make a difference wherever it is. It might be right here in Birmingham. It might be at the, the far ends of the world somewhere. I've said it before, and some people think, you know, that it's just words, but there's not a person here that's too young or too old, too dumb or too smart, too pretty or too ugly, too rich or too poor, too anything. But what God can't use you if you'll just give yourself to Him. Let God do with your life what He wants to do with it. And take seriously the position that you've been appointed to as an ambassador to represent Jesus Christ Himself. You're not just representing this Christian faith. You're not just representing this church, though that's part of it. You're representing Jesus Christ personally. And what an honor that that is. We're going to stand and we're going to sing for our closing hymn this evening. One of Sister Rolda's favorites. I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus? just want us to answer that question honestly this evening. And I'll have to tell you, your pastor, if he looks, he has to say, no, I haven't done my best. <laughs> I wish that I could stand here and say, I've done my very best, but I could have done more. But what I really want to challenge you this evening is, will you serve with honor in 2010? Will you determine God doesn't ask you to do anything just because somebody else has done it? He doesn't ask you to match anybody else? Matter of fact, he tells you specifically not to compare yourself amongst each other. Will you just give him your best? Give him what you are, what it is, and say, God, here am I. Send me. Do with me 
what you want to do with me. Lord, use me to truly represent you in whatever way that I can best do it to this world around me. 